Well, welcome to Renaissance. It's good to see you guys out this morning. Uh, my name is Clay, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I would love to uh, have a chance to meet you after the service. So come on up uh, afterwards. I'll be hanging out up front. Love to get to know you a little bit. Well, uh, glad you guys made it out with all of the snow and all that. I actually love winter, except when it decides to take up residence at the end of my driveway. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about that this week. It's so, such a blessing to live in the Northeast where there are four different seasons and you get to see God's grace in different ways. You know, the beauty of the snow, the beauty in the spring of the new life that's coming, the warmth in the summer, the colors of the leaves in the fall. I, I have a hard time deciding what my favorite season is just because I love to see the way in which God pours out his grace in the beauty of the world around us. And that's what we've been talking about uh, for the last couple of weeks. We've been talking about God's grace, how he gives us his one-way, undeserved love. It doesn't depend on who we are. It doesn't depend on what we've done. It doesn't depend on what we deserve. God gives us so much more than we deserve. And we live in a society where we feel like we ought to get what we've earned, where we ought to get what we deserve because we work hard, we study hard, we play hard. But if we actually got everything that we deserve, I think we'd find ourselves disappointed because God wants to give us so much more than that. And that's what we've been talking about uh, for the past couple of weeks. And this past week, actually, we talked about how God gives each of us different gifts, different talents, different abilities, and he gives us the strength, the energy, the discipline, the, the, the perseverance to develop those talents and then to use them uh, to be a blessing, really, to other people. God has given us our talents so that we can be as he might put it, instruments of his grace in the lives of other people. So whatever our talents, our gifts are, God wants us to use those to be a blessing to the people around us and ultimately uh, to bring glory to himself. And so as we're talking about this question of, you know, what does it mean to live in light of God's grace? How has he poured out his grace on us? How does he give us this love and this grace that's so far beyond what we deserve This morning, I want us to ask ourselves the question, how do we deal with those situations when we're interacting with people who really from any objective perspective absolutely do not deserve grace, do not deserve love, have done things uh, to us, say, especially that make it very, very difficult for us to be gracious toward them? And, you know, if you think about life, you think about the people you interact with, in some situations, it's fairly easy to to show grace to somebody, right? You're a parent, you've got a young child, it's pretty natural that you're going to want to care for the needs of that little child, whether it's changing diapers, whether it's feeding, whether it's helping with homework, whatever it's going to be, pretty easy to show grace to somebody in that kind of a situation. Or you're walking into a store, there's somebody behind you, it's not that difficult to hold the door for them. You know, we can go on. There's a lot of situations like that where it's pretty easy for us to show grace to people. But then there are those other situations where maybe it's a little more difficult. You're you're driving along, there's a line of traffic, and this one guy, and it's the same guy all the time, who decides that he is entitled to drive on the shoulder and that he is entitled to drive and cut right in front of you. And so you're tempted, actually you're not tempted, you actually, at least if you're me, try to leave about one millimeter between you and the car immediately in front of you because he does not deserve to drive on the shoulder and cut in, in front of you. I've just confessed my sins to you, 
and, you know, and, and my bad attitude in that situation. It's hard for me to show grace in a situation like that. You know, or you've got the relative and you love her. She's, you know, she's wonderful in so many situations. But every time, every time you're at a family gathering, she has to turn the conversation to her kids and their latest and greatest accomplishments and how they're going to be president of the United States, certainly within three or four years, or even though they're only six years old, you know. And every conversation is about her and her kids and all that they're doing. And you're like, she is so arrogant. She is so self-centered. She is so self-focused. And yeah, I love her and I love the kids, but come on. And it just becomes frustrating. And it's difficult to show grace to somebody like that in those kinds of situations. But then let's make it impossible, right? Someone's betrayed your trust. You were married for however many years and then your spouse decided to leave you for somebody else and they left you with the kids or with the mortgage or whatever it is. It's difficult to show grace to somebody in that situation. It's difficult to forgive in that situation. You've got the business partner and you tied your finances together and then he or she cheated on the tax situation or created a deal that shut you out. And now you're left holding the financial bag as a result of what that person did intentionally did, knowing full well what the effect was going to be on you. And those situations, and you can come up with many, many more, situations like that aren't just difficult. From a human perspective, they're essentially impossible for us to show grace to that person because not only don't they deserve grace, they deserve so much worse. And so how do we deal with those kinds of situations or again, with the, with the person who's cutting us off in line or, or whatever it is, wherever the situation is, how do we deal with those situations where we feel like the person to whom we might be called to show grace absolutely does not deserve it? And then we remember what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks and the definition of grace that Tully and Chavidjian gave, pastor down in Florida. I love this definition. We've read it a couple of times already. Grace is unconditional acceptance given to an undeserving person. Grace is not deserved. It's given to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. I am in no, I am under no obligation to show grace to that person. I don't have to do it. But grace is one-way love. And how do I have that love, have that grace, have that compassion, have that mercy, have that heart for that person who absolutely, by any objective standard, does not deserve it? And so this morning, I want us to take a look at a passage uh, in the Bible where Jesus encounters a couple of different people, and there's a situation that arises where there's an opportunity to show one-way love, to show undeserved grace. And it's a really challenging passage, but it's an exciting one and an inspiring one, and I think it's one that can help us to maybe take a step or a couple of steps in the direction of growing in our ability to show grace to those who don't deserve it. And I want us to look at Luke chapter 7 and uh, starting at verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. 
And a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, if you're not a regular church attender, if you've not done a lot of reading in the Bible, you may not have heard of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were Jewish religious leaders, and they were the the good, the righteous, the law-abiding Jews of that day, and they knew it, and they were proud of it. And so this particular Pharisee lived an upright, righteous, holy, good life, and he didn't associate with people like this, quote-unquote, sinful woman. And you can read between the lines, and Luke intentionally wants us to read between the lines of what kind of a woman this was. But there was no great love from the Pharisees toward Jesus. They didn't like Jesus because he typically shook up the status quo and challenged them and and uh, was trying to help them to see that maybe they weren't as good and as righteous as they necessarily thought that they were. So it was a little bit unusual that this Pharisee decided he was going to invite Jesus to come to dinner for him. And he was actually taking a little bit of a risk because his fellow Pharisees, his fellow religious leaders were not necessarily going to be terribly happy that this Pharisee was associating with Jesus. So it was a positive step uh, that he did this. Now, you've got this woman, this sinful woman, uh, prostitute, streetwalker, whatever you want to call her, uh, shows up at this dinner. If that were to happen in our society, it's it just not heard of. You don't crash a party. You don't crash a dinner in our society, at least if, you're, you, know, if you want to have any sort of a good relationship with anybody. But in those days, it was actually not all that unusual. So when someone would invite a person of importance, a, a, a public figure, and Jesus was an important public figure, when they would be invited to dinner at somebody's house, it was not all that unusual for people who weren't invited to come in, uh, sit or stand against the wall near the outside, and just sit there and listen to the conversation. So this woman walks in, and while everybody knew who she was and what she did, the fact that she had come in off the street to sit there at the the dinner was not all that unusual. What was unusual and what was scandalous was what she did when she arrived. She lets down her hair. You don't do that in public in that society if you're a woman. You're not going to let down your hair. She lets down her hair. She takes this very expensive perfume She pours it all over Jesus' feet. She cries all over his feet. She kisses his feet. She dries her tears off of his feet with her hair. This is completely inappropriate socially. And and the Pharisee looks at this and he's like, this is not right. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of a woman he is that she's a sinner. Simon had absolutely no sympathy for this woman. She did not deserve his sympathy. She did not deserve to be there. She did not deserve grace in any way, shape, or form. And Simon's thinking, and neither does Jesus, because if he were really a prophet, if he were really who people say he is, he's going to know what kind of a woman this is and how inappropriate it is for her to be treating him this way. What is Jesus doing in this situation. 
And Simon doesn't actually say this out loud. He's thinking it. He's saying it to himself. And yet Jesus knows exactly what's going on in Simon's mind. And so he says to Simon, he says, Jesus answered him, Simon, I've got something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. And this is, you know, it's a setup. If, the, if, if this were a movie, the music would kind of change and maybe go into a minor key or something, you know, suspenseful sort of a thing at this situation. So Jesus tells Simon a little parable. And he says, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them do you think will love him more? Simon replied, well, I, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus answered. Simon got the point. He understood what Jesus was trying to say. And a denarius was about a day's wage for the average working person. So the one person owed 500 denarii. Let's just say it's about two years worth of wages. The other person owed 50, which is about two months. So the one owes 10 times the amount that the other one owes, yet neither of them had the means to pay it back. And this is important because in those days, if you don't pay back the money lender, you can be thrown in jail, right? And you're going to end up going to prison. That doesn't happen as often today, but it happened very, very frequently then. So yes, there's a huge difference between the debts, but in some sense, they're both in the same boat. And so he says to Jesus, I'm sorry, Jesus says to Simon, which one do you think is going to love him more as a result of the debt being forgiven? And Simon says, the one who's had the greater debt forgiven. And what's interesting to notice is the money lender actually forgives the debts of both of them. Money lenders didn't do that in those days. Banks don't do that today. You can't go to the bank and say, hi, I'm sorry, I can't pay off my mortgage or my car loan. Would you just please forgive the debt? And the bank's going to say, oh, sure. You know, I was at Renaissance Church and they were talking about grace. I'm going to show you some grace and I'm going to forgive your debt. It's just not going to happen. And it didn't happen typically in those days because Debts don't just vanish into thin air. Somebody has to bear the cost of that debt. And in this particular case, it's the money lender who has to bear the cost of that debt. And I love what Philip Yancey says about grace in this regard. He says, grace is free only because the giver himself has borne the cost. Grace is free only because the giver himself has borne the cost. Our forgiveness, what Jesus did for us when he died on the cross and rose again to extend grace and forgiveness to us, it's free to us, but it's costly to him. And Jesus is trying to point out that grace is costly to the one who gives the grace. It costs something for them but it's free to the recipient. And I think Simon is getting the idea here because he realizes that it's unusual that this money lender is forgiving this debt. And he also gets Jesus' point that the person who had been forgiven a greater amount is going to have a greater appreciation for what's been forgiven. But he wants, Jesus wants to make sure that Simon really gets this. And so he takes this and he tries to drive home the point a little further. In verse 44, he turns, he looks at the woman, and he says to Simon, do you see this woman, Simon? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, 
But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. And I love the way that Luke puts this. He says that Jesus looked at the woman and said to Simon, Jesus is treating that woman with the dignity, with the respect, with the grace that Simon would absolutely refuse to give her. And I love that Jesus is doing that. And he says to Simon, you haven't even shown me the basic social graces. You know, in in those days, it was a social norm. Someone comes into your house and you're a person of means. And Simon absolutely was a person of means. Someone comes into your house, their feet are going to be dirty because they're walking on the, on the dirt roads. They're wearing open-toed shoes, you know, sandals, something like that. Their feet are going to be dirty. It was customary to give them water so that they could wash their feet. Actually, it was pretty common for you to have, if you had a servant, for that servant to wash their feet for them. Or if you really wanted to show them grace and honor, and and respect, you'd wash their feet for them. Simon didn't do any of that. It was customary when you greet somebody back in those days, you give them a kiss on the cheek. Today, you know, I don't know, it's a handshake, a kiss on the cheek, maybe a high five, fist bump. Simon did absolutely none of that because he wasn't showing Jesus the basic social grace. You wanted to go a step further in those days, you'd give them a little bit of oil to pour on their head. Again, it was a social grace that was a sign of respect and appreciation for the person. Simon did absolutely none of that for Jesus. But the woman, she just didn't do those sorts of things. She went so far beyond what would be considered necessary or appropriate in those days. In the way that she kissed his feet, she washed his feet in a sense with her tears, dried them with her hair. And she was doing this for Jesus. Why? Because she realized that she was the 500 denarii debtor. And Simon saw himself maybe not even as the 50 denarii debtor. She realized how much Jesus had forgiven her. And she was so appreciative of that, that she couldn't help herself in pouring out her love and her appreciation for the grace that Jesus had shown her. Simon's attitude towards this woman is, she is a sinner. She does not deserve grace. She does not deserve respect. She does not deserve to be here. She does not deserve to be in my presence or Jesus' presence or the presence of anybody else because she is a sinner. And Simon is absolutely right. He's absolutely right. She did not deserve any of that from Jesus or from Simon. But Simon was absolutely wrong about the implications of the fact that she didn't deserve grace from himself or from Jesus. Why? Because grace is one-way love. It's grace from the giver to the receiver without any obligation, without any deserving being taken place, without having been earned. Grace is based not on the character of the one who receives it. It's based on the character of the one who gives it. And Jesus showed grace to this woman, not because of who she was, but because of who he was. And Simon didn't show grace to her or to Jesus, not ultimately because of who she was and not ultimately because of who Jesus was, but because of who he was, because he didn't see himself as one who is in need of grace. And so he didn't really have a heart to extend grace 
to anybody else. Tullian Trevigian puts it this way. He says, grace doesn't make demands. It just gives. And from our vantage point, it always gives to the wrong person. She was the wrong person to be the recipient of Jesus' grace. I am the wrong person to be the recipient of Jesus' grace. But praise God that my reception of God's grace, his showing grace to me does not depend on my character. It doesn't depend on what I deserve. It depends on God's character. It depends on who he is and not who I am. From Simon's vantage point, the woman did not deserve grace. Maybe he did, but the woman didn't. But from Jesus' vantage point, neither of them deserved grace. And yet he was offering it to both of them. And the woman had accepted it. And the way that she treated Jesus showed that she had already accepted his grace, had already accepted his forgiveness. And her love for him flowed from her appreciation of his love for her. Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven in verse 48. And the other guests began to talk among themselves. Who is this? Who is this that can forgive sins? And Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Notice that that Jesus doesn't minimize the woman's sin. He doesn't say it's no big deal. Eh, you're not really a sinner. Let's not worry about it. Let's just blow it off. Blow it off. Let's overlook it. He says, no, you are absolutely a sinner and you absolutely do not deserve to have your debt forgiven. But I forgive you because that's who I am. I love you. I see your need and I want to meet that need. Jesus does not minimize her sin. He maximizes his grace. He doesn't give her what she deserves. He gives her so much more. And one of the ways in which we, we, we could get confused as, as we're reading this is to get the idea that Jesus was forgiving her because she had treated him this way. No, he says that he's forgiving her beforehand and she's treating him this way as a result of the forgiveness that he already had extended to her and that she had already received and the grace that she had already appropriated. And so that grace moved her and motivated her to show him this kind of a love. So if you step back and ask yourself, what's the bottom line difference between Simon the Pharisee and this particular woman? If we were to ask Simon, I think that Simon would probably, probably say, I may be a sinner, but I'm nowhere near the kind of sinner that she is. She needs God's grace and she absolutely does not deserve it. I don't know whether or not I need it, but I'm pretty sure that I deserve it. That would be the way that Simon would view the world. But if we were to ask Jesus, Jesus would say that the woman recognized her need and Simon didn't. They both had a debt that they couldn't pay and she knew it, but Simon didn't. She humbled herself before Jesus but Simon didn't. She received God's grace, but Simon didn't. And as a result, she loved Jesus, but Simon didn't. And if we want to extend it a little bit further, 
One of the key factors in whether or not we show grace to those who don't deserve it, who we think deserve anything but grace, anything but mercy, anything but compassion, anything but love, one of the key factors in whether we show grace to people whom we think don't deserve it is whether or not we appreciate the grace that God has shown to us, whether or not we've received, whether we've appropriated, whether we're grateful for the grace that we don't deserve. Because if we think we deserve it, if we think we've earned it, then we're going to expect other people to deserve it and earn it as well. But if we realize that we are absolutely undeserving of what God has given to us and what he's offered to us and what we've received from him, then it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be easier. It's going to take it from being impossible to maybe just being very difficult to show grace to other people around us whom we don't feel like they deserve it. The more we appreciate God's grace to us, the more we'll extend grace to those around us, even if we don't think that they deserve it. Simon treated people according to what he thought they deserved. Jesus treats us according to what he knows we need. And when we realize the depth of our need and the greatness of God's grace that's going to enable us to take some steps to become a little closer to being more like Jesus in extending grace to the people around us, even when we don't think that they deserve it. Now, I want to give you uh, two questions. I want to leave us with two questions that I think that we can ask ourselves that'll help us uh, to understand better what we've been talking about and to really live it out in our lives. And the first question is, ask yourself, and do this one today, ask yourself, how much grace am I showing to others? Where am I showing grace to others? And where am I not showing grace to others? And I mean this as a diagnostic question. I don't mean it as a guilt-inducing, as an obligation-inducing, as a duty-inducing kind of a question, because grace is freely given by an unobligated giver to an undeserving recipient. I'm, I'm asking myself, I'm asking all of us to ask this question, where am I showing grace to others? Because it'll help us to see where we are on that spectrum. What kind of uh, lives are we living? How much are we acting like Jesus? And we will all fall short. I fall short, you guys fall short. We all have room for improvement in that. And again, my goal is not to, to, to focus on the negative. It's diagnostic because when we realize where we fall short, then the next question comes into play. And that's how much grace has God shown me? Where has God shown me grace? Where has he poured out his blessings on us? How has he forgiven me? How has he shown me love? What gifts, talents, and abilities has he given me? What opportunities has he given me? What strength and energy has he given me to develop my gifts? And on and on and on. How has God shown grace to me? And how much do I really appreciate that? If you grew up in, in a church, you may, when you were a kid, have sung, uh, sung the little song, count your blessings, name them one by one, count your many blessings, see what God has done. Kind of a trite little fun thing. A couple of us were talking about that uh, after last night's service. You know, do that. Count your blessings. Think about the grace that God has given you. And when you do that, ask him 
to give you a greater appreciation for the grace, for the one-way undeserved love uh, that he has given to you. And ask him that as he does that, not only would you grow in your appreciation for the grace that he's shown you, but that you would grow in your ability to show that same kind of undeserved, unobligated, freely given love and grace to the people around you. Our God is a God of grace. That is his default disposition towards us. He's a God of one-way love. His love for us does not depend on our character. It does not depend on our behavior. It depends on his character. It depends on who he is. He doesn't show us grace because we deserve it. He shows us grace in spite of the fact that we don't deserve it. And he gives us so much more than we deserve because grace is part of his essential nature. And, I, and again, as I've said, I want to challenge you to take some time today, this afternoon, this evening, before you go to bed, reflect on God's grace to you. What has he given to you? How has he blessed you? How has he shown you his one-way love even when you don't deserve it? And as you do that, ask him just, just overwhelm you with his incredible love for you and to give you an increasing desire to show that same kind of love and that same kind of grace to other people, not to earn God's favor, but because he's creating in you a heart like his, a heart that cares for the needs of those around you, a heart whose default disposition to others is the same as his default disposition toward us. And that's a heart of one way, unobligated, freely offered and given, gracious love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that your love for me does not depend on my behavior. I thank you that your grace does not depend on my character and what I deserve and what I can earn. And I thank you for that. And I pray for all of us that as we reflect on these things, as we think about everything from the beautiful snow to the changing of the seasons to the cross and the forgiveness that we can enjoy because of what Jesus has done for us, as we think about all the incredible blessings, all the different ways in which you have shown us grace, I pray that we would be overwhelmed by your grace, by your one-way love for us. And as we are, I pray that our hearts would be softened, our hearts would be changed, that more and more and more our hearts would be like yours and that you would supernaturally work in us, that we would have that same kind of one-way love for the people around us, even when they don't deserve it. I pray that you would do that in us to make us more and more like yourself so that we can be a blessing to other people and we can bring honor and glory to you. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. I hope you have a wonderful day. Take care.